Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, it's an exciting time of the year for UFC and NASCAR. We got NASCAR back in Charlotte tonight. And of course, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go. My bookie for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot. Try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to a thousand dollars. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV. That's capital BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to. Get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. Going to talk a little pro wrestling on today's show. We got Daniel Jung, Notre Dame baseball outfielder, on the show tomorrow for your Flashback Friday interview of the week presented by Tick Pick. Remember to use the promo code OSHOW10. That's capital OSHOW10 for $10 off your next order using TickPick.com when you're allowed to buy tickets for events again at some point this year. Uh, pro wrestling, though, a lot going on in all elite wrestling. Double or nothing was this past weekend. WWE, of course, keeping tabs as well. Drew McIntyre, the current champion, though. None of those storylines really uh, are up to par compared to AEW at the moment. I mean, all elite wrestling is double or nothing. They fought inside uh, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium in Jacksonville, Florida, a stampede match. Uh, the inner circle versus the elite. They were wearing football uniforms, football entrances with pyro, which was pretty sick to see. Mike Tyson is uh, consistently going to be on AEW television moving forward as well as he of course gears up for his first boxing match in nearly two, three decades, which is going to be very interesting to see. We'll see if he actually does fight in the squared circle once again. But this week's episode of AEW Dynamite closed out with, uh, I guess you could say it was like a pep rally for the inner circle. Chris Jericho, uh, Jake Hagar, Sammy Guevara, as well as uh, Santana and Ortiz. Um, They lost, I think, a double or nothing to the elite and Matt Hardy in that stampede match inside the football stadium. But the members of the inner circle... They all gave each other gifts to celebrate their participation. I guess that was the whole segment because a a big comedy spoof uh, to celebrate their loss in the stadium stampede match on Saturday. And that was followed up by uh, a handwritten poem from Jake Hagar, the former Jack Swagger. And then Chris Jericho actually called out. He demanded that Mike Tyson's uh, head was put, uh, put on a platter. And Jericho... I think it was 2010, 2009, 2010 in WWE. Jericho teamed with Mike Tyson against D-Generation X, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. And Tyson ended up ripping off his shirt. He was wearing a DX shirt. Crowd went nuts. And uh, Jericho was actually knocked out, you know, storyline speaking, by Mike Tyson. Uh, And we have the exact date. The exact date was January 11, 2010 on an episode of Monday Night Raw. And Jericho actually said, um, of course, storyline-wise, that he hasn't forgotten that. And Mike Tyson's music... 
uh, played. He made his way to the down to the ring. It wasn't the same uh, unanimous note that it was when he uh, came to the boxing ring every night. Uh, but he, his music played, and he made his way down to the ring with an entourage this time. It was Vitor Belford, uh, Henry Sahito, who just retired from the UFC, and then Rashad Evans as well were among the people uh, in Mike Tyson's entourage, in his corner, if you will. And a brawl, of course, ends up breaking up. It was kind of exactly what... Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mike Tyson did almost 25 years ago. Uh, Jericho uh, with the push. Mike Tyson pushes back. Brawl breaks out. And then, of course, more than 25 people in the ring. We have not seen that in a long time, ladies and gentlemen, but we saw it. Uh, So the brawl was broken up between Jericho and Tyson with about... 25, 30, 35 people in the ring trying to break them up. And so it certainly looks like they're teasing Chris Jericho, Le Champion, versus Iron Mike Tyson. So it should be interesting to see a little warm-up for Mike Tyson before he goes back into the real sport of boxing. It was interesting to see uh, Henry Cejudo as well because, again, he just retired. And while most of the world expected Mike Tyson's uh, comeback in combat sports to happen, in boxing or even bare knuckle fighting at this point, it appears that his first stop is going to be um, in this ring. And apparently, he's got some backup. Like I said, uh, Henry Cejudo, uh, Rashad Evans was there, as well as Vitor Belford. Uh, we remember him in his heyday. I mean, Jesus. But Mike Tyson was involved in a storyline segment. Um, uh, with Jericho and the inner circle, and they're probably teasing Jericho versus Tyson at Fighter Fest, which I know is the next big pay-per-view. You got Brian Cage versus John Moxley for the AEW World Title. Uh, but Mike Tyson, again, he's 53 years old. He's gotten himself back into fighting shape, and reports are that he's considering some kind of return to combat to combat sports, whether it be boxing or bare knuckle fighting or even pro wrestling. You know, and of course, names like Tyson Fury, Tito Ortiz. Um, those are just some of the names that have been mentioned uh, and have said that they have been approached about competing against Mike Tyson in some form of fighting. And, of course, in last night's segment on AEW Dynamite on TNT, Mike Tyson walked to the ring flanked by those several big names, like I mentioned, Sahito, Rashad Evans, Vitor Belford, um, because I think it was literally two days ago that UFC announced that Henry Sahito was considered retired after his fight at UFC 249 uh, against uh, uh, Cruz, Dominic Cruz, and his bantamweight title was vacated. So Sahito was involved on Mike Tyson's side in the storyline brawl against Chris Jericho's faction, if you will. And Mike Tyson and Sahito on Wednesday were UFC um, uh, Hall of Famer Rashad Evans and Vitor Belford. And Sahito's only 33 years old, I'm pretty sure, successfully again defended his UFC bantamweight title against Dominic Cruz uh, in Jacksonville and announced his retirement from mixed martial arts in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. So he has been a little bit coy about his future beyond fighting. And many have speculated that he's angling to get an even bigger contract from the UFC. Who, who knows on that end? But Mike Tyson, of course, a longtime friend of Tony Khan, the AEW current president. Uh, and, of course, his family owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Mike Tyson appearing uh, Saturday night at AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view event. He awarded the new AEW TNT Championship belt to the winner uh, that night, Cody Rhodes. Uh, Vitor Belford was also at Double or Nothing. He was seated next to uh, Dan Lambert, who's the American Top Team gym owner and then Henry Sahito was also in attendance Saturday night but wasn't shown on screen so it should be interesting to see if these guys are going to be signed to AEW which is a big coup like a huge coup for AEW to bring these guys in even though they're not wrestlers like obviously WWE brought in Cain Velasquez and it turned out to be a complete mess but 
former world champions who are just recently retired from the UFC and Henry Cejudo, two-time bantamweight champion, Vitor Belfort, again in his heyday, was uh, the Mike Tyson of mixed martial arts. I mean, that was a bad dude. So it should be interesting to see if AEW is able to reel these guys in for future dates, future events, future dynamite appearances. Uh, but today on the Osho, I kind of wanted to talk about the uh, Dark Side of the Ring documentary with Owen Hart. Of course, Owen Hart, the youngest of 12 Hart children. Of course, one of his brothers, WWE Hall of Famer, uh, wrestling legend, Brett the Hitman Hart, son of Stu Hart. Again, one of 12 children. He was the youngest one, arguably the most talented one, but uh, we never really got to see his true potential. At least uh, nobody did. He died when I was one years old, uh, so I don't want to make it seem like I watched him wrestle uh, but I've seen clips. I've seen clips on YouTube as well as in this documentary. And Owen Hart, uh, uh, by far the most talented person in that in that Hart family. He just never really caught that big break. And of course, the documentary "Dark Side of the Ring" captures uh, the night of his tragic death, uh, falling almost 80 feet from the catwalk inside uh, uh, Kansas City. Inside the Sprint Center in Kansas City, Missouri, it was May 23rd, 1999, the day he died. And, of course, the story of Owen Hart's tragic death, it's been revisited countless times, but it's arguably never been told in this scenario, kind of in this concept, because Vice saved Owen Hart's story for the final episode of Season 2. Of course, it kicked off with the Chris Benoit story. And uh, uh, they can't be blamed for this vice on this end, saving Owen Hart's episode for last. Because Hart's tale here is one of the most, again, controversial in pro wrestling history. And it, it deserved to take center stage. I mean, the beautiful thing is that uh, Owen Hart's love for his family, his desire to spend more time with them, and willingness to go that extra mile so his children were happy, um, it deserves it more. Because the final dark side of the ring, for now... It's not an easy watch. It's, it's quick. It's around 45 minutes. It's not an easy watch, um, especially once attention turns over to the pay-per-view in 1999, the night he died at Over the Edge in 1999 during the uh, documentary's second half. So watching Owen's widow, Martha Hart, his children, uh, uh, OG Hart, as well as Athena Hart, and, of course, an abundance of talking heads such as Jim Cornette and those who knew him well struggle to speak clearly without their voices cracking with emotion. I mean, it's pretty tough. I mean, Jim Ross gets emotional. He was on the call that night with Jerry the King Lawler. And this is also the retelling of a human being who touched everyone he came into contact with before being taken away too soon, though. So it, it's a documentary uh, you need to watch. I mean, you need to watch this episode. Uh, and, of course, there's many uh, tales to be uh, said here regarding Owen Hart because there's a lot of things that people didn't know. And we'll get into some of those things. We'll talk about some of the footage right after this quick word from TickPick. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. He's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said... TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Talking about the final days of WWF superstar Owen Hart on this Thursday. And again, like I just mentioned, uh, his family was first and foremost, of course. I mean, footage of this documentary shows his real goals. And it's really painful to watch because throughout Vice's documentary, there's uh, a, a prevailing sense that Owen Hart wasn't 
quite as hooked on the wrestling business as other members of his famous family were. And uh, he loved it, of course, but it didn't really envelope his every waking moment. I mean, Owen Hart wanted to be at home with his wife and his kids, and that comes across loud and clear in this documentary. Again, Dark Side of the Ring, final days of Owen Hart. And at one point in a short uh, video camera recording from Martha Hart, uh, it catches the real Owen Hart. He said that um, all the hopefully that all the aches and pains of wrestling would be worth it someday and admits that he only wanted enough money to make his family comfortable that, so that he could spend more time with them and retire young. Then, of course, um, they show uh, footage of his wrestling abilities. And unless you have a heart of stone here, unless you have a black heart, I mean, you'll tear up a little bit here. I'll, I'll admit there were, there were tears coming down my face. Owen Hart wasn't dragged into, you know, the typical wrestler tropes like believing one's own hype or losing his grip on reality. This proves that and shows a humble human being who couldn't wait to get home and be with his family. And the other thing that's heartbreaking here is that Owen Hart really never questioned his safety with WWE officials because according to Martha Hart, uh, the WWF changed, it was WWF, now WWE, it changed their original plans for Owen Hart's uh, descent at Over the Edge uh, one week before the pay-per-view. She said that she remembered being on the phone with someone from the company and hearing that they, they planned to use a quick release mechanism because he was clipped um, kind of in a, in, a, in, a, in a harness of some sort, but they needed to run things through uh, with, with her first. Uh, she was worried, but Owen Hart told her that the promotion, of course, would surely get the best team for the job and look out for his well-being, which they certainly did not. And, and as it turned out, it was false hope. By the time that he arrived in Kansas City, Missouri that night for the show, of course, Owen Hart was nervous. I mean, Jim Ross, who was in the documentary, he said that he recalled how hesitant he was when they shook hands earlier that day. It just seemed like something didn't seem right. And nobody could have known what was about to happen, though, because JR, of course, he said that he would never forget uh, jokingly telling Owen, better you than me, before uh, they agreed that they were both terrified of heights because, again, hours later, Hart was dead after falling from the top of the arena. And another chilling moment here that just breaks your heart is what Owen told his son, uh, O.G. Hart, at the airport. Because the day before the event, Owen drove to the airport in Calgary, Alberta, Canada with his son, and that was uncommon, apparently. But uh, Owen Hart told Martha, his wife, that uh, he was meeting his mother, Helen, off of another flight and that she'd drive his son, O.G., back to the house afterwards. So O.G. jumped in the car and uh, waved his dad off to work. He said that he couldn't have known then that he'd never see him again because Owen Hart, I guess they were saying that his schedule was 10 days on, three days off, 10 days on, three days off. So he was rarely home over 250 days a year. He was on the road with the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation at the time. And uh, this time he wanted to take his son OG to the, to the airport. Uh, OG Hart was seven years old when his father passed and og hart just remembers this time kind of saying that uh he told him to look after your mom and sister uh, when he left uh, this, this is what he told vice uh that his dad told him what his father said to him right before walking off with his bag to catch the plane he said and i quote look after your mom and your sister and that's what he said before giving og a hug and leaving him with his grandmother so those final words would become uh, just so detrimental and unforgetting for the kid, especially when he realized that his dad was putting them before himself every single night. So it's hard to see OG, who really resembles Owen in a lot of ways, uh, relive that last time that he'd never see his dad look happy. So despite what happened next, OG said that um, he'll always treasure the time that he did 
with his father. And another hard thing to watch here was Martha Hart explaining how she thought that Owen Hart was kind of ribbing her. She thought that he was on the phone when Vince McMahon had called her to tell her that uh, things weren't looking good for Owen after his fall because she didn't know what was going on 100 miles away in Kansas City when she picked up the phone late uh, on that night, I think, again, May 23rd, 1999, they weren't watching the pay-per-view. So uh, the voice on the other end of the line said, this is Vince McMahon. But Martha uh, apparently didn't believe it. She was so used to her husband's uh, ribs, her again, ribbing, uh, joking around, that she thought that he was pranking her. And, of course, Vince goes, this is no one. It's Vince McMahon. And uh, Vince McMahon told Martha Hart that, Owen Hart had suffered a big fall, but said that he wasn't sure about the extent of Owen's injuries. And, uh, of course, worried and unsure here, Martha Hart had to had to wait on another follow-up call from the doctors in Kansas before learning that her husband had tragically died live on WWF pay-per-view, and it seemed as if Vince McMahon didn't even care. So the whole scenario, it must have been just traumatizing for Martha, and I guess Vince McMahon, but he had, of course, the unfortunate task of calling her up without the full story, and then had to leave Martha hanging before she learned that uh, uh, she had to learn the most depressing news of her entire life. And Martha tried, of course, to uh, run away from Owen's body. Of course, Vice does a nice job of kind of like reliving moments here. And um, uh, the funeral director asked uh, Martha Hart before showing her the body, of course, in the casket, um, if she if she was ready. And she said yes. And then, uh, of course, she wasn't because by the time Martha Hart uh, clapped eyes on her husband she of course relived that terror she fell to the floor and screamed immediately uh, she said that she was absolutely horrified but by, by what he looked like and of course Bret Hart was right behind her he took charge of the situation he bear hugged Martha and he kind of like slowly uh, in a weird way danced her over and inched her closer towards Owen's body and it wasn't until she uh, saw her husband's uh, I guess they said uh, it was his blonde hair that she saw and noticed how soft it was and then Martha started to come around and pay her respects uh, because she said that she'd love him both in life and in death so she wasn't scared anymore after that despite the poor condition of Owen's face and just overall body and his torso so that part of the documentary you won't be surprised to hear is Absolutely remarking, uh, remarkably sad, and and Martha Hart admits that she again tried to run away at first before Bret Hart uh, calmed her down, and she's glad of that because she said again seeing Owen's body one last time was still worth it, and he still was her husband, and she wanted to see him before the actual funeral, which uh, over 500 people attended. They actually had to bring speakers out because they couldn't fit anybody in, which is uh, remarkable. That's how much he meant to people in the industry. Uh, and, then, and then afterwards, of course, Martha Hart, as well as the two kids, revisited uh, the arena, or it was Kemper Arena, uh, not Spirit Arena, Kemper Arena in Kansas City in 1999, and, of course, they had police footage, police photos. Uh, they were taken by the police the day after Over the Edge in 1999. It was also the same view Owen Hart had right before uh, falling to his death from the rafters, unfortunately. And that was the very, the very same image that, um, of course, is going to be burned into the minds of Martha, OG, and Athena Hart's minds forever. Because they revisited exactly where it happened. I, I guess she said that that's where she like she had to see it for her own eyes. She had to know what happened in the final moments of his life because they looked down from the catwalk exactly where he fell. And this might seem cruel to some people, but Martha Hart wanted to try and remove any doubts from her children's brains about what had happened to their father, Owen Hart. And OG will 
of course, never forget looking down from uh, the catwalk, that metal walkway up there high above the ground. He, he imagined what his dad must have been feeling at that moment. I mean, the fear would have been absolutely unreal. And nobody could believe how high up they went or how high they were or why the WWF at the time thought it was a good idea for Owen Hart to even be up there in the first place. I mean, the planned stunt, um, one played for laughs, uh, of course, because it was he, he did not have a good gimmick at the time. He was not one of the more um, uh, higher-placed guys on the card when he should have been. But at the same time, he was kind of like in a Heath Slater esque situation where he was kind of just like the middleman like Kurt Hawkins or Zack Ryder just uh, a lapping point in the show I mean the the plant stunt cost him his life I mean that was something everyone agreed was totally avoidable uh, at, at least in the documentary and Martha still of course has the clip that they used that ended up snapping and ending his life because later police handed Martha a bag of evidence uh, from the accident showing photos as well as the clip and inside was Owen's blue uh, blazer outfit, the gimmick that he had. He'd, he'd revived the comedy gimmick because he was, of course, struggling to fit into the mold, the new attitude direction. That's what Jim Cornette claimed because, of course, this was right after uh, the, the, the mantra of Screwjob because Brett the Hitman Hart, his older brother, had left for the rival company WCW World Championship Wrestling after losing to Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series in Montreal. Uh, but, uh, but some other bits and pieces and the exact same clip like I mentioned, that uh, had loosened right before Hart plummeted from the ground uh, from Kemper Arena. Martha, she told Vice that the clip was designed, uh, quote-unquote, solely for sailing boats, and that it only takes six pounds of pressure to release the clip. And that part of the plan uh, was explored in an earlier entry, the WWF, wanted to switch up Owen Hart's harness so that it wouldn't take so long for him to remove it when he landed safely on the ground. It was kind of just as soon as he landed on the ground, he put a little bit of pressure on it, it would release, and he's good to go. Uh, and that's basically just to save two or three seconds of time because he was wearing a full harness before, and it took a few seconds to get it off. So the, the whole purpose of this was that his safety would be on the line, but it would save a few bucks. And that decision would end up costing the man his life. So Martha Hart, I mean, she couldn't believe to this day that they thought such a tiny clip, one that wasn't even meant to do the job it was supposed to do, what it was being asked to do, would be safe in any way. And seeing her hold the thing in her, in her hands is pretty eerie, kind of eye-opening, uh, what WWE was thinking at the time. I mean... Uh, the, 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 the grim legal aftermath. I mean, the documentary doesn't go into too much detail on any of the settlements, uh, any of the court dates between Martha Hart and WWE and Vince McMahon, but it does talk about the wrongful death lawsuit she lodged against Vince McMahon and his company. I mean, there's some, uh, uh, some footage of McMahon in court and news that he tried to move the case to Connecticut because there were no punitive damages served in the state of Connecticut. I mean, it's a whirlwind of legal terminology and more depression for Martha Hart, of course. I mean, she told Vice that some of the, like, even some of the Hart family were uh, supportive of her case against the company, but others not so much. And a few even stole legal documents from her to give to the, the to Vince McMahon and the defense. And, I mean, that's just brutal to me. I mean, that's family. I mean, that, she says, was absolutely heartbreaking. And all Martha Hart wanted was answers for her husband's death. I mean, money wasn't her motivation. Owen Hart's memory was. And it's plain to see how big of an effect 
all of this courtroom drama had on the family as, as a whole, the Hart family. I mean, they went on to set up the Owen Hart Foundation in his memory and, of course, use fundraising efforts to help others. And that's the legacy Martha Hart wanted for her husband. I mean, she's uh, never going to allow WWE and Vincent McMahon to have uh, that one up on her to say that they want to induct Owen Hart into the Hall of Fame. That's why Owen Hart isn't in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Martha Hart won't allow it. She doesn't want WWE to have the satisfaction of taking that away from them. And the story, of course, I mean, it doesn't get any easier. Uh, again, a 45-minute documentary. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're not, it, it'll make you tear up. I mean, it, it's very stressful and uh, disheartening to see what this family went through back in 1999 as well as the, the, over the last 25 years. I mean, it'll be disrespectful to call this Dark Side of the Ring uh, finale the best episode Vice has done. I mean, from a filmmaking standpoint... It is, and yet it's also one of the most horroring narratives that they could have picked. I mean, as much as viewers are going to surely be gripped by, uh, of course, the love that Owen Hart's family has for him and the dreadful way uh, that his life ended, I mean, they'll also shed tears. It's, it's impossible not to. I mean, this might be the, the millionth time some fans have heard about Owen Hart's fall, but it's every bit as sickening when recapped by Vice and those closest around him. I mean, talking heads, like I mentioned, Jim Ross, Chris Jericho narrated the thing, Jim Cornette, uh, D'Lo Brown, uh, a couple of the referees, the referee that night that was there that saw the fall. I mean, these are all touching, moving interviews. And also hearing The Godfather, who was Owen Hart's opponent at Over the Edge that night, um, he recalled his own memory of that night that was uh, similarly painful. And he was standing at the gorilla position behind the curtain, ready to make his entrance when Owen Hart's body was wheeled past. And Godfather said that he recalled seeing Owen Hart, uh, he, he was just blue in the face, and that he couldn't stop himself from crying after witnessing something so uh, hair-raising. I mean, everything was pure chaos. And Owen, like I said, will never be in WWE's Hall of Fame. Millions of wrestling fans would love to see Owen Hart be inducted into WWE's Hall of Fame. And this isn't a Chris Benoit scenario where he was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but of course you can't recognize him for what he did. Owen Hart, innocent man, one of the most beloved guys in pro wrestling, died tragically, uh, but he will never be in the Hall of Fame uh, or become a bonus character in some video game produced by the company. Although his family, they don't speak on the latter of this in the documentary, they do conclusively dismiss the Hall of Fame, and Martha, OG, as well as Athena agree that Owen Hart will never get inducted. They'd rather his legacy, of course, lived on through the Owen Hart Foundation, and OG reaffirmed that his mom, Martha, her wishes um, by saying that he couldn't watch on as WWE put his dad's name on some silver and pretend to care, you know, and Athena, of course, who has always blamed wrestling for taking her father away. I think she was three years old when he had passed. She backed that up by saying it, it wouldn't be tasteful at all. So there you go. Uh, unless something dramatically changes someday, Owen Hart will never see induction into WWE's Hall of Fame. It's something Bret Hart has spoken about, and he's for it. But Martha, OG, and Athena are determined that it will not. It will. It'll never happen. And Brett the Hitman Hart, of course, denied uh, being filmed, being interviewed for this documentary about his younger brother. Again, one of the youngest of twelve children was Owen Hart when he had passed. One of Stu Hart's twelve children. And I guess Brett the Hitman Hart really never got back to Vice. They they reached out and he never got back. And he was asked um, months prior, never got back to them. 
Uh, and that's what David Meltzer, of course, uh, pro wrestling insider, had said. He said that he think that the feeling was that they interviewed a lot of people with the Owen Hart Foundation and things like that. And I, I guess he thought that the decision was made that uh, we that they could get other family members and they couldn't get anyone from WWE. I guess. I, I mean, I guess they probably could have gotten Harry uh, Smith or whatever, but they went with OG and Athena, which of course, at the end of the day, was a great decision. But uh, Brett would have been in it if he wanted to be in it, I guess. But I guess he didn't want to be in it. And another thing to add here is that uh, I think they're going to add bonus footage, Owen Hart bonus footage, on Vice TV, which is reportedly set for season three of Dark Side of the Ring. Um, and the bonus footage did not air, of course, during last week's season two finale on Owen Hart because uh, bonus footage on uh, the WWE Brawl for all episodes are going to air during the extended cut episode on the tournament, which airs, um, I think, next week, I think on Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern time on Vice. So Vice will air the After Dark episode on Owen Hart at 9.30 Eastern Time Monday, and of course, WWE Hall of Famers The Godfather and D'Lo Brown are, are going to be featured after dark, along with Jason King and Chris Gethard. So they will, of course, remember the life and tragic loss of Owen Hart and, and the night that went terribly wrong at WWE Over the Edge in 1999. It's no secret here that Dark Side of the Ring Season 2 was a huge success for Vice TV. I mean, the season finale on Owen Hart drew the best viewership in the history of their network. And uh, there's many reports, of course, from Pro Wrestling Insider as well, that the show had been picked up for a third season. There's no confirmation on that yet, but it looks like they're going to be picked up for a third season, which could, of course, premiere sometime after March 2021. And an official announcement should be coming in the next few months. Of course, Vice's TV executive vice president, uh, Morgan Hirtson, told uh, multiple sources in April that they are planning to expand the series into new areas because they're eager. I mean, they're eagerly looking forward to exploring more ways to do more episodes of Dark Side of the Ring and uh, Dark Side of Other Strands, even though I'd say the Benoit and Owen Hart stories were, I mean, as dark as they get. I mean, I know they're looking at all of their audience's data and what people love about the show, and they're using it to inform other shows that uh, they're greenlighting, but I, I don't think it gets any better than those two episodes, the one that they premiered season two with and the one that they ended season two with. So the audience, of course... I love it. That's what the, the ratings say, and this is the kind of storytelling the kind of storytelling that people want to see being delivered on a weekly basis over and over again. So, again, the the final days of Owen Hart. You can check it out on YouTube if you haven't checked it out yet. Owen Hart, the final days of Owen Hart, the season finale of Dark Side of the Ring. With that being said, I wanted to dive into AEW Double or Nothing for just a little bit. Of course, this year's event, uh, I don't think it compared to last year's event, though of course Tony Khan did what he had to do. He had to adapt to the circumstances. They knocked it out of the park. I mean, I still think it's the best pay-per-view of the year so far, if not right up there with, of course, WrestleMania 36, which drew in big numbers. But uh, the stadium stampede match, like I said, the inner circle being Chris Jericho, uh, Santana and Ortiz, Jake Hagar, and Sammy Guevara taking on the elite and Kenny Omega, uh, broken Matt Hardy, as well as the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes winning the AEW TNT Championship, which he's set to defend every week, kind of like what John Cena did with the United States Championship Open Challenge back in 2015. Mike Tyson's going to be on uh, the programming regularly now moving forward, at least for the next few weeks. We may see Chris Jericho versus Mike Tyson. 
Tyson. John Moxley defended his AEW World Championship against the former Luke Harper and Brody Lee, the, the leader of the Dark Order, which was very interesting to see. Of course, Dean Ambrose uh, called him Dean Ambrose. John Moxley... Uh, the AEW World Champion, the former Dean Ambrose of WWE in The Shield. He's going to take on Brian Cage, former TNA World Champion, at the next pay-per-view being Fighter Fest in Jacksonville in just a few weeks. But AEW Double or Nothing 2020 was a big hit. I think 2019 AEW Double or Nothing was groundbreaking, arguably the greatest wrestling pay-per-view of all time when it's all said and done. I know they, they don't have quite the amount of history as World Wrestling Entertainment or even TNA or even NWA for that matter. But that pay-per-view changed the landscape of wrestling forever. We reviewed it last year on the show, and we're going to go into that with uh, Declan and I. I mean, there were so many great moments. Chris Jericho defeating Kenny Omega, and that's when John Moxley, of course, Dean Ambrose, because this was like a month after he had left WWE, making his uh, epic debut coming through the stands to uh, Dirty Deeds uh, or Paradigm Shift. Again, I did it again. Paradigm Shift. Uh, Chris Jericho and beat the crap out of Kenny Omega to spark that rivalry between John Moxley and Kenny Omega. That was arguably the rivalry of the year. Um, and of course, we also got to see Cody Rhodes's uh, uh, five-star match. And there's not that many five-star matches in pro wrestling today, ladies and gentlemen. A five-star match with his brother, Dustin Rhodes. I mean, at his age, you wouldn't expect him to put on a match like that. Uh, the storytelling aspect of that match was unbelievable. They ended up teaming up against the Young Bucks at the next pay-per-view fight for the Fallen. Uh, Cody Rhodes actually took a chair shot, of course, from uh, Sean Spears, who was another former WWE prodigy as Ty Dillinger. So many big debuts for their first show, so I want to get into that with Declan here on episode 198 after this quick word from our handy-dandy sponsor over at TickPick.com. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's only going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No hidden fees. What you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. All Elite Wrestling, double or nothing. Best pay-per-view of all time, in my opinion. I don't know about you, Declan. It was the greatest fucking show ever. Uh yeah. I I think I want to say it was the greatest show ever. I think. No, it, it was the greatest show. No, I think it just exceeded expectations. Expectations were sky high, like to the moon. Oh, yeah. Well, I understand that. But the fact that finally fans have actually seen a big-time wrestling show that have exceeded their expectations or at least reached their expectations, that was awesome. Because every WWE show for the last... Or at least think about it this way. Every WWE show since All In has been shit. All In was the last time there was a successful wrestling show. Now it's double or nothing. So fan, they got Moxley. So this is the first time that wrestlers are actually using their own creative minds to put together a wrestling show. I mean, if you well, yeah, Jericho said it best. Jericho said it best. Jericho was talking about how like they they know what they're doing. They're they're wrestlers. No one knows what's better for their characters but them. You know. And the fact that they they have the creative freedom inside and out of the ring to develop their own characters is awesome because their TV deal with TNT doesn't start until October, I believe. 
So I'm guessing they're going to be using their so own social media and AEW social media platforms to per, to uh, develop their characters. I guess that's the only thing they can do. Uh, and at the shows, Cody Rhodes even said it in the uh, the post pay per view press uh, release that they had. Each show has to be better than the next. So Double or Nothing had to be better than All In. Fight for the Fallen, which is July 13th in Jacksonville, Florida, has to be better than Double or Nothing. Yeah, which I'm hoping, has to be better I'm hoping we can, I, I told mom about that. She didn't really sound opposed to it. It just depends when I can come to North Carolina because I want to go to that show. That's I want right. to see the crown. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to Fight for the Fallen. This is a four-hour all ride from where I'm at in Charlotte. I am pumped. I am fired up, and as everybody, all wrestling fans should have their fucking souls on fire right now for all elite wrestling. They knocked it out of the park. First pay-per-view ever. Hangman Page, number one contender after winning the buy-in battle royal for the uh, AWE championship. Or AEW. <laughs> I'm too excited. Uh, and he's going to face Jericho. So Jericho picked up the clean win over Omega in the main event with uh, the Judas effect, which... Didn't really hit it for me. I don't think he sold it that well, his new finisher. It's almost very similar to the uh, the elbow that uh, Bad News Barrett used to use. Yeah, it is. It's nothing special. It's a very generic wrestling move. I think he's going to whip out, you know, the code breaker more than you think. He used it a few times in the match. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think I don't think that that new finisher is going to stick because he's smart with wrestling. I think he's going to realize it's stupid, unless he gets to the point where he can't use the code breaker, and maybe that's why he's trying to find a backup. Well, I think now. he wants to use a new finisher because he is Chris Jericho. He's the goat, and he wants uh, to develop a brand new finisher for a brand new wrestling company. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like, that's, kinda that's like that's how, how Adam Man Page. Is getting a AEW title shot right off the bat. They so, want to Hangman stars. Page. Hangman Page, in one way or another, is their Rollins, a hundred percent, in my eyes. Well, they they need so Jericho. Not that I need Rose. to compare the two companies, but you know he's kind of he's going to be that guy. I think if they develop him right, I think there's even an article about it. Um, I think Moxley's going to be their Stone Cold if they do it right. You know. Which they're going to. Well, the thing is with Adam Page is that they want him to be the first AEW guy. So Jericho, notoriously, so you think, so you is the WWE think, guy. You think Jericho is going to go under? Yeah. Moxley, uh, WWE guy. You have Omega, New Japan guy. Yeah. Young Bucks, New Japan guys. I think right now, with how hot it is, you know what? I think you let Balor, you let Styles finish out the summer in October. Once that TNT TV deal starts and they're on every week, they those guys need to hop over. It's not that easy. Uh, no, no. I, I, I know a brand new deal with WWE. I don't think. I think this was the last deal. I think AJ Styles actually said that this is the last um, deal he's signing in professional wrestling before he retires. Uh, the deal he just signed with WWE, so I think that's that door is officially uh, closed. Finn Balor, I don't know. He's the current what Intercontinental Champion right now. Right. Yeah. How long is he gonna have it though? Until they they fuck up again and use try to push someone that shouldn't be pushed. Yeah. So Finn Balor, Intercontinental Champion at the moment. I say they take it off him. 
soon, like they're going to do. Maybe throw them in that fucking bullshit 24-7 hardcore title thing. I don't even know. Uh, like whatever. How do, you, how do you feel about that, by the way? How do I feel? I'm upset that I even know about it. I unfollowed WWE a couple weeks ago. And then, of course, it's still, like, in my recommended feed on Instagram and YouTube. And I'm like, I see this thing, Mick Foley, to present a new title on Raw. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, I happened to tune in at the perfect time that (coughs) night, and he debuted this 24-7 thing, and I just turned the TV off. It was gross. And I also tuned in this week, too, because I wanted to see how uh, the crowd would be reacting to Raw, and I was also excited to see how WWE was going to respond to AEW, so I thought maybe they'd have a great Raw, but, you know, it was a typical Raw. And we'll get to that a little bit later with the whole electric chair uh, segment. But That means absolutely nothing. People freaked out about it. It meant nothing. He said nothing other than the letters AEW. Double or no, like, literally, if you could rate that thing 10 out of 10, it's... It's like a nine point five. No, it's, if, it's if you don't rate it a ten. Did that not? Was, did that? Did that not? That whole pay per view not give you such a WCW feel? Yes, but they needed to kick it off with a bang. Like it, it had to be awesome. Like Cody said, it had to be better than All In. So yeah, they pulled out a few guys who we probably won't see every like Bret Hart uh, introducing the AEW title. That was a cool moment. Did not expect but, to see yeah, there. Well, just probably like the whole. The whole vibe of the show was like almost like a rebirth of WCW in a way. Like this is the, we're once again entering an era in professional wrestling where Vince McMahon is faced with actual competition. Exactly. Well, again, they had to kick things off with a bang by using big established names already. Not everybody in the world knows who Adam Page is. Not everybody in the world knows who Kenny Omega is or the Young Bucks. And that's why I'm so fucking excited because people are going to... The name Adam Page is going to get around. That's not an easy name to forget. A match at Fight for the Fall between Jericho and Page could go either way. Uh... Jericho winning the title, of Yo, course. Can you, can you repeat what you just said? You completely chopped out. All right. Uh, chop. Jericho versus Page. Fight for the Fallen. Jericho wins. He's the face of AEW at the moment. Already established name. Hall of Fame wrestler in WWE. Would be a great guide for them to hold the first belt, storyline-wise. Also, a great um, thing would be for Adam Page to win it if they want to establish their first All Elite Wrestling tag superstar and give him the chance to be the inaugural champion. Yeah, I think that's very smart. You make a good point. Like, it would be one thing to give it to Jericho, but Jericho has made a name for himself everywhere already. Like, Jericho will be AEW champion at some point. For storyline purposes, but I think the right thing to do is to give the championship to a fresh face, you know? Yeah, and that that will probably main event fight for the Fallen. It's not announced yet, but it'll probably be Chris Jericho versus Hangman Page for the AEW championship, which is July 13th in Jacksonville, Florida. I will be there. Trust me, after Double or Nothing, I will be there. Oh, wow. Oh, this ice is so cold. <laughs> I had uh, I was chewing ice after drinking water and Yeah, welcome back to the show, buddy. Cold cold ice. We've missed you. 
So that'll wrap it up for our AEW Double or Nothing recap. Check out uh, O'Hara and Friends, make a vlog later. Uh, and actually, Fight for the Fall, let's give away some tickets. So Fight for the Fall on July 13th, Jacksonville, Florida. If you can listen to this podcast and name the name of Declan's new band that he is so proudly to represent at his high school, O'Hara and Friends, DM us on Instagram and Twitter saying O'Hara and Friends and you'll take 20% off your tickets for Fight for the Fallen or any future All Elite Wrestling event. That's TickPick.com, no hidden fees, which means if it's $27, it's $27. No fees, no hidden fees, TickPick.com. Do you want to say it or I say it? I'll, I'll let you say it. You're recording. Get it, Hootie. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.